Jeff Fritzman, another week is upon us. I don't see how it could get any more upon us than it already is. In fact, it's sticking something funny into my ear. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? What? <laughs> is that the Elton John concert talking? No, no, it's not. <laughs> Are we allowed to talk about the Elton John concert? Yeah, sure. You went to one. I did. And Elton John was performing. That's true. And not with Iron Maiden. Uh, no, not even with an opening act. How was it? It was fantastic. Did he do all of the hits? <sighs> I, kind of impossible. If if there were, then um, if there were any missed, I don't remember them. But uh, yeah, it was the battery of them. What is it with these guys? You said it was three and a half hours long. This show, right? That's right. Uh, and when I went and saw David Bowie, it was the last concert of his, the North American leg of his tour, and he did about three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And he had an opening act, so it was like, oh, my God. About, about three hours and 12 minutes or so, yeah. Yeah, what is it with these – The I don't even want to say old-timers because I don't feel that old. <laughs> but <laughs> what the hell? What is it with these old-timers where they're doing these giant three-and-a-half-hour shows, you know, from Springsteen to Bowie to, to yeah. Elton John? Uh, what is it? They've got this amazing stamina and uh, and I guess maybe talent. Is that what it is? They've got actual talent? Well, so that probably – Three-and-a-half hours? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, well, Maiden Show will go two and a half, you know, uh, almost 15 minutes shy, three hours. So it's the same for them. But, well, for this one, it was really good because actually he just recorded an album with uh, Leon Russell, uh, who's the guy everybody wanted to play with back in the late 60s, early 70s, I suppose. And, um, uh, and it's called The Union. And uh, for most of the tour, they hadn't. Uh, they hadn't been able to get him out to a gig. And uh, in Baltimore, he showed up and played, I'd say, the better part of the whole middle of the show with Elton. And so I think for this particular show, I think maybe it went so long because he had Leon on but still wanted to get to all of his material. So you know what the other part is? They're healthy. <laughs> They're healthy now. You know, I mean, Elton's had quite a, a wild life, you know, and um, – uh, you know, and I guess when you're when you've been up drinking half the night and throwing up the morning and you know all of that, I guess you don't feel much like playing for three hours straight and singing your head off, which he did. Um, you know, he's healthy. He looks good. You know, he doesn't look. Uh, he didn't look tired at all. I mean, and it's great whenever you go to see somebody who's been around as long as he has and see them still. Like to sing with so much, you know, fervor as they do is amazing to me because you know they've sung these songs a billion times. Right, but uh, it's great. Speaking of rock and or roll, Sammy yeah. Hagar claims to have been downloaded with alien information. That's right. Yeah, uh, it, it struck me in hearing about this, and I'm sure most people out there have heard about this by now. If you haven't? It's in his new autobiography um, called Red. 
Uh, yeah, you're reading it, right? I have it. Mm-hmm. I haven't started it yet. I I have started it. I've already gotten through the alien abduction part. Is it good? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's strange as you might expect it to be. It's you know, I think it's him as a four year old child, and he's laying in bed, and he all of a sudden has sort of a visionary experience of. Um, two beings in a craft and they are downloading something into him that he doesn't know of w- what it is but um, he said it was a really profound experience and then he's also talked about being I think I think uh, 16, 18 somewhere in there maybe t- maybe even 20 I can't remember but he was uh, you know, a lot younger and he was at his parents' house or at his house. He either owned a house or was at his parents' house. And he saw a very large thing, which he said was like a car without wheels, right. floating over a field. And he went out and threw rocks at it. <laughs> Could he ping a rock off it? Answering uh, your question. I see, see, I think he certainly tried. But in the end, he, um, he ended up with missing time, and he doesn't remember how the whole event ended. So, um, it, you know, it's weird. Um, I find it uh, interesting. Is this a West Coast phenomenon where you know you've got like Shirley MacLaine and uh, she had Dennis Kucinich right at her place, and he allegedly was downloaded with information. He will neither confirm nor deny this, mm-hmm. uh, and she's certainly into that whole information download thing. Was it about this uh, these these West Coast celebs with their downloading information from aliens, as opposed yeah, to I don't know, you know, the fear scenario that we hear so much about? Yeah. Well, I think he, I think he relates a, a decent amount of, of fear, but I think most of his fear is over a drunken Eddie Van Halen. Uh, <laughs> so David Lee Roth, not an alien, is that correct? Uh, well, that depends on who you speak to, but um, yeah, he's uh, he's another interesting cat. So all of that is uh, is well detailed in the book. Red, my uncensored life in rock. By Sammy Hagar, and here, by the way, Jeremy, uh, I've I've leafed through quickly to find the passage where he talks about his alien experience, and uh, we're just gonna to read that a little bit of that. It says I was lying in my bed one night at the Anastasia Street place in Fontana, asleep, dreaming. I saw a ship and two creatures inside of this ship. I couldn't see their faces. I just knew that there were two intelligent creatures sitting up in a craft in the Lytle. Creek Forest area about 12 miles away from the foothills above Fontana. And they were connected to me, tapped into my mind through some kind of mysterious wireless connection. I was kind of waking up. They said in their communication to each other, no words spoken, oh, he's waking up. We've got to (laughs) go. Sound familiar? They fired off a numerical code, but it was not of our numerical system. There was a split second where I was still seeing everything, and then it was over, like someone pulled the cord or whatever. I opened my eyes real quick. My whole room was white. I couldn't see anything, no fixtures, no nothing. It was a timeless white infinity. I couldn't move. My eyes were open, but I was paralyzed in my bed. Betsy, I'm assuming his wife, uh, was laying next to me. All of a sudden, pow, the connection instantly broke. I jolted. The room went to black. Everything returned to normal. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. I was shaking. My heart was pounding. I was scared out of my brain beyond anything I had ever experienced before. What was that? I didn't even tell Betsy. They set me off on the weirdest quest. 
I didn't even know the word UFO. I didn't even know my astrological sign. I didn't know anything about astronomy or numerology or anything, but I dug into it. And, uh, and so, therefore, you know, he goes off into becoming very interested in numerology. I saw, um, you know, a, a, like an interview with him, just a written interview, I think, where he mm-hmm. was saying he wanted to write more about UFOs, but one of his friends talked him out of it because, you know, no, no one cares about that sort of stuff. But he basically said he's so into it, he could write a book on UFOs himself. Yeah. Uh, so I find that interesting. And I know I had, of course, read from someone, I don't remember who, probably Steve Bassett or something, about how, well, of course, no one's going to believe him because he's famous. Uh, and I think that's more reason to believe him. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> because he doesn't need this. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the fame. No, he's got it all. He's got, uh, so why, he's would got he, it all. why would he do this to himself? You know, right. right. Um, so let's get, well, let's just show. say this. Yeah. Let's <laughs> just say this. If anybody out there in the listening audience knows Sammy or knows any of his management or anyone who might know someone who knows him, we'd love to get him on the show to talk about this stuff. And I think he'd dig it. So Sammy, if you're listening, come on the show. And you can reach us at paratopiapodcast at gmail.com. Drop us a line. All emails will be kept confidential. <laughs> Unless you screw us over. <laughs> no? No, that's not That's how that not works. true. No. So onward and upward. Tonight we have uh, two guests from the Midwestern Researchers and Investigators of Paranormal Activity, which is mripa.net, which is – No relation to Kelly Ripa. That's right. But it is uh, Deb Cobbles. Uh, group, or it's not her group, it's actually this guy Jason uh, and this woman Rachel. And I'd love to give you their last names, except they don't give them on the website, so I don't know if they don't want you to know their last names. Yeah, that's probably something we could email them about, but in the meantime, screw it. Jason and Rachel. Baker. He's the lead investigator. She is a case manager. Deb is an EVP specialist and ufologist. Uh, and then there's like a whole list of people. I mean, it, it's like it's almost like Hands Across America for, for paranormal <laughs> investigating. Yeah. And they don't just do ghosts. They do everything in the realm of the paranormal. Yes. And I think we had a really decent chat, although I, I do need to apologize for any of the technical issues. I know that there's a bit of an echo, uh, which we couldn't get rid of, and um, keeping true to form, not from last week, but from the previous couple of episodes, uh, there's a dog barking. At some point in the background. What is it with dogs and our guests lately? We're being chased by the black dog. <laughs> so with that in mind, uh, let's uh, let's ring this bad boy up. Here are Jason and Rachel Baker from the Midwestern Researchers and Investigators of Paranormal Activity, mripa.net. If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it, we take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. 
Paratobi, it's Jeremy Vaney here, and as you may know, I don't know how you could have missed it, I've certainly been spamming everywhere with this. My book came out on Tuesday, March 29th. It's called Urgency. Oh yes, you will own it. You will own it. And by that I mean buy it. By that I mean go to Amazon and please buy it. Okay, Urgency, by me guy who hosts this show you know with the other guy that hosts this show but he doesn't have a book does he but i do and now you can own it by going to amazon.com paratopia please welcome without further ado our very special guests jason and rachel baker the what head honchos of mripa.net is this correct yes okay and mripa stands for what because i know i'm going to screw that up the midwestern researchers and investigators of paranormal activity right and it is not just ghosts you investigate pretty much everything correct yes from ufos down to cryptozoology strange phenomena pretty much anything that falls into that large word paranormal Okay, and uh, you have quite a few members, so how did you become uh, that big of an organization? And hmm, what is the ratio of what to what that you've actually... I mean, do you mostly uh, investigate ghost stuff, or or is it really all over the map? It's usually all over the map. Uh, we usually end up with more calls of, about ghosts and hauntings, because that's what's popular right now few years back, it was mostly UFO sightings that was going on. But it, it, it ebbs and flows. We, we could have several months of people seeing strange lights in the sky, and then we might end up getting a phone call about somebody seeing a nondescript humanoid-looking form crossing the road somewhere. It, it, it varies. We've been around long enough that even other groups contact us and forward things that are out of, out of their range, out of their site plan to either assist us with or go along with or just to hand off the case to us. So all the people that are in your organization, I mean, are, do they all investigate everything uh, or are they specialized? Uh, we have a few that are specialized. They have uh, multiple interests, but for example, Deb Cobble, uh, she's our resident ufologist as well as our EVP specialist. So she has a wide array of interests but she has been immersed in ufology and in that genre uh, since she was very young. So we do have other people that have interests, but we try to train everybody to be open to everything so that that way that they're not only useful, but they are uh, able to grasp individual and the whole picture of what's going on for investigations, reports, and sightings. Um, and we just try to, to keep everything open for everyone. They, they do have their specific interests, but everybody complements everybody very well. Well, before we get into uh, methodology and all of that fun stuff, uh, why don't you both uh, tell us what brings you to the table? I'm assuming you're a husband-wife team. We are now, yes. yes. We are now. <laughs> okay, uh, so did you... Uh, how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was there was a piece of cloth and some chloroform. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's how I roll. <laughs> yeah. 
Tell him oh, about my God. wife. Oh, God. Go ahead, Rachel. I didn't mean how did you win her over. I meant... Oh, never mind. <laughs> no, it, it, it was kind of funny because when I was... Um, just turned 29 years old, um, maybe, maybe getting to say 28 years old. So this is back in like, um, 2007. I, uh, was just getting really bored with my life. Cause I always felt like there was a lot more out there. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just, excuse me for our dogs, but it was just, it wasn't just the paranormal stuff. It was, I always felt like I had a higher purpose and the higher purpose. I have no idea what that is still yet today, but I, every body I was friends with, it was that friendship, but not that connecting friendship that people always would like to have in their lifetime. So I said, okay, what am I interested in? I've always been interested in paranormal stuff, you know, ghost stories. I'm a big fan of like UFOs and the possible possibility of life outside of the planet. So I went on, um, a, a website called meetup.com and it wasn't for the dating. It was for just finding some like-minded people so um, I found a whole bunch of these paranormal groups on meetup.com, and I actually attended several of them just to see what they were about, and they were all just, uh, how do you say it nicely, ridiculous? <laughs> it was more of um, the fad that Jason and I very much like to stay away from, you know, let's go to some graveyards and see if we pick up on anything. And that's just not what I was really into, and plus a lot of them were about 10 years younger than me anyways. So... Um, I got an email about a week later through meetup.com from Jason. It wasn't to me personally, but just to anybody that mentioned that they were interested in the paranormal. And when I saw it, I'm like, you know what? It's probably like every other group delete. So for that whole week, I something in the back of my head said, you need to go check it out. Just check it out. So I took it out of the trash on my meetup profile and I read the website, and I was really impressed because there was a lot of information that a lot of the other sites did not have. It sounded like everyone was trying to beef each other up, but Jason had a website that was more educational and informational. It wasn't about how often the team was. It was, this This could be this if you saw this. You know, it was just information that I wasn't finding anywhere else. So I went ahead, read a little bit more, thought about it, and then went ahead and sent in an application to Jason um, about why I'd be interested in being part of the team, um, what my reasons would be, what I wanted to do. And it was just, you know, of course, investigating because that's where a lot of people think about when they come to paranormal groups. But it was just even doing the research and then the write-ups for any investigations that took place. So that night, Jason did call me. And what was supposed to be like the initial 10, 15-minute, hey, let's just get to know each other over the phone, wound up being like a four-hour conversation. And then um, it was the Christmas of 2007, or the three days after the Christmas of 2007, we officially met. And it was the most uncomfortable experience I have ever, ever been in in my life. I mean, it just, it wasn't why it was, what I was doing, it was him in particular. And then I found out really quick that evening that he put that front on for a lot of people. So he kind of, it's called the um, bullcrap filter in the nicest terms. But ever since that night, we've worked together, um, basically have been inseparable, and it just blossomed into a relationship and then into a marriage. Uh, Jason, do you have a different story? <laughs> no, that's not, that's pretty much it. But she's uh, Well, how did you get on. into this field in, uh, in the first place? I mean, if, if you were into this before she was, 
Um, had you had experiences, or was this just an, purely an interest for you? Oh, no, I've, I've had quite a few experiences. Uh, it's actually, I, I love telling the story, too. My grandfather uh, was in the Navy, and he had some experiences, as you can imagine, most people who've been out to sea for a long period of time. Uh, he saw a lot of things that should not have been. And when he got out of the Navy, he decided he was going to become a minister. Well, he traveled around and he went to Jerusalem and he got to experience the land and the stories that are written in the Bible and realized that there's a lot more out there than what's written down. Uh, in his early years of being a minister, he had several different experiences. Uh, there was a, a lot of UFO sightings in Indiana also at the time. And he had a few personal experiences that pushed him over the edge of conventional religion. So he would do research on everything that had fallen between the cracks of the Bible. You know, all of the the miracles, the paranormal, the, the lights in the sky, the UFOs, the strange phenomena. It's mentioned, but not really discussed in the Bible. And people really didn't like to talk about it. Well, he was so fascinated with it, even my, my father will say that it, w it became his number one passion was not only to explain his personal experiences, but try to find out reasons and information on what he experienced. Uh, in the late 70s, uh, my brother and I, we were about seven, eight years old at the time. And he started telling us of his experiences and got us interested in lost civilizations, mythology, Egyptology, and so on. So we wanted to learn more. And he would tell us what he had seen, what he'd experienced. We'd read UFO stories. We'd read you know, the mysteries of Pompeii. And we developed such an interest and thirst for the abnormal and for this, this, kind, of, this kind of phenomena that it just continued as we were growing up. And in our teens, we'd go on UFO hunts with Grandpa, and we'd go looking for these haunted locations that are supposed to be in, in our state and just outside of our state and follow up on local myths. And we really, it just, it never, it never seemed to slow down. And we carried it all the way up into our adulthood. And when he passed away in 1996, I decided it was my turn to take over his research and my turn to take over, I guess you would say, the reins of the family tradition. And I started finding people that were curious and had questions of their own. And over the years, we amassed such a, a great team and picking up people and learning new things that it formed into what Imrita is today. Well, what, what are some of the experiences that he had? <laughs> well, in 1983, I got to see my first unexplained flying object. Uh, he actually came and woke me up out of bed. And we had a pretty large property out in the middle of nowhere. And he came knocking on the window, get outside, get outside. And I got to go outside, and we watched these two bright white lights up in the sky doing weird maneuvers back and forth, crossing each other at extreme speeds, stopping and then changing direction. Uh, that was my very first experience of any kind, uh, of it being legitimate, other than just books and paper. Uh, then 
later on in my years, I got to, I got a little, I guess you'd say ballsy and went into a house that I had heard was haunted and the house is no longer there. But I went in and immediately had that feeling that I shouldn't be here, you know, and it was very oppressive. It not someplace that I wanted to really be in. And I started getting mouthy and cocky as a teenager does and got the crap smacked out of the back of my head. And I, I had this overwhelming feeling of it's in your best interest to get out right now. That's the, the two most memorable. Well, let, let me ask you this. Did anyone acknowledge how weird it is that, that someone would go from uh, being a minister and, and believing that there is more to, I don't know, spirituality than is in the books, um, go from that in their search to UFOs? Did anyone find that as odd? Well, there was a lot of, like I said, he was unconventional. He was not a, a traditional uh, minister by any, any standpoint. He he did meet a lot of opposition. Uh, there were a lot of people in the UFO field at the time. Some of the groups don't even exist anymore, like NICAP and PSYCOP and something like that. But he would talk with them, and they would say, you know, you're not the only minister, you're not the only preacher who is asking these questions. And especially locally with a lot of the other churches where they would go and they would uh, minister at different churches and evangelists and stuff. They, he really met a, a lot of hard time because people didn't want to think outside the book, per se. They weren't comfortable with actually believing that there's something more out there than what they've been told. And as far as that goes, as far as there being something more out there than we're told, it, it, the one thing that strikes me about your website is that you are willing to put out there, look, this is uh, ordinary in-camera phenomena, this is dust, this is bugs, that's what these orbs are, that's what these streaks are, that's what this stuff is. Um, so it does seem important to you guys to maintain the distinction between crap and not crap, as, as far as one can discern so what are some of the not crap <laughs> that you've had? What is the best evidence that you've had, say, for a haunting that you've, you know, captured? Well, e even with the hundreds of investigations that we've done, we've still only found a couple locations that I could even classify as haunted. And that would be a, an overwhelming amount of either video and audio evidence along with, you know, the, and we try not to use personal experiences that much because anything that's human is still fallible. So if we can actually give some kind of video evidence, if we can actually get a lot of evidence, then I, I can classify that. I, I personally feel it's haunted. Uh, there's a lot of others out there that if, if a mouse farts and they catch it on a recorder, they immediately assume that the place is haunted, even without any evidence. Right. But we, we have captured some strange video anomalies that could not be recreated. Uh, we have captured in two locations what appeared as some kind of shadow. can't say it's a person or whatever. In one of them, there's just a shadow that moves from one side of the room back again that completely distorts the light and stops it. But yet you can still see everything around it. Nothing's changed. And another location we had, it looks almost as if someone's sitting in a chair and they're just kind of lean back as you would if you're sitting there, you can see what looks like a shoulder and head and arm and leg. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, when you're seeing things like this, um, it, 
do the hairs on your arms stand up? I mean, is there a feeling, is there an emotion or a biological reaction that you inevitably have to a really, to a real haunting? Well, I, I really think that there, in one of these days, someone out there is going to be able to get this tangibly written down. There, there's got to be some kind of electrostatic change that happens in, in the surrounding air, whether it's ionized or, you know, whatever. If it, the electrostatic change has to be quantifiable because you can, you don't have to touch a pan to know when it's hot because your senses automatically know that that pan is hot. Therefore, you start feeling the heat, you know what's coming after that. After you've been in a few situations where there is something happening and you know it's happening, your body reacts to that the same way as if you're getting close to that hot pan. It doesn't mean that you're psychic. It doesn't mean you're intuitive. It just means that your body recognizes certain signals and impulses. And I believe that's what causes a lot of our hairs to stick up on our arms. Well, is your body ever wrong? I mean, do you ever go into a place and everyone feels that sense of dread or that sense of whatever, but then nothing, there's nothing, no evidence? Yeah, we actually, one of our earlier investigations, we actually found something that was causing that. They had a central air unit that had been modified for this building. And in one of the cabinets in the corner, it looked like it would have been a filing cabinet. When you open it up, it had this huge transformer unit that ran this central air unit. And it was throwing off crazy high uh, EMF. It was throwing off uh, electromagnetic radiation. It, it buried the needle in my RDX meter that I had at the time. And it was generating that kind of weirdness in the environment that your body interprets certain signals and immediately fills in the gaps. But we were able to find what was causing that, whereas in other investigations, we've never found a physical source to it. Hmm. And Rachel, for you, um, I'm assuming now that at this point you've you've been to what you would consider legitimate haunted locations. What was that like for you when you went from uh, theory to what you would consider fact? That okay, this is real. This is no longer in a book. Well, oh, this is this is always a little hard for me to explain because one. Um, places that we've been to that we classify as legitimate haunting, um, it still doesn't mean that I, 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 I've seen anything, I've really experienced anything. EVPs, awesome if you get them, but <laughs> I need a little bit more tangible. When I go in these places, the only way I can base is off my, my gut feeling. Um, I go into places, um, it's almost like electricity in my stomach. But the problem with this, and I've told Jason this many times, is that when I leave, I find myself getting more flustered than anything because I I so desperately want... It's like I believe in it, guys, but yet it's not enough for me to not see... You know, I need to see something still. I need to tangibly say, okay, this is fulfilling my experience, even though I do believe in it. Does that make sense? Sure. Like, I'll go and have in you, have and you I... Have had that experience? Or no? No, I haven't. Not yet, and I get so flustered because we have some strange things apparently that happen in our house, and I'm like, you know, gosh darn it. I said, why am I not seeing this? You know, it's just, it's almost like my, I'm very impatient or I, I'm wanting something so badly that it's just not happening, but do I, do I believe in this stuff? Absolutely. It's, you know, it's, I feel it in my heart. I feel it, you know, in my soul but I'm still not saying it. I'm not tangibly getting that physical evidence in front of me that I'm, I'm still really wanting and waiting for. Uh, now, it's, in, it's term, stuff, 
What's that? I'm sorry. <laughs> the good stuff, not the bad stuff. Right, right. Uh, in terms of how you actually go about investigating this stuff, I mean, you know, we always see this on Ghost Hunters and those type of shows where they plop down their evidence, uh, you know, in front of the, the people who own the place and they go, here it is. Now, if uh, you need anything else, call us. <laughs> do you do that? And what is the point? Like, what really can you do for people except scare them? Well, what we do that's a lot different from that is we keep an open dialogue with all of our clients, even the ones that we had five, six, seven years ago. And we do routinely check in with them to, you know, see how things are going, how things are doing, how the new puppy is doing. And we make sure that they understand that they have friends and they have a network so that if there is an issue, then we can help them find help because we're, we're, no, we're not magic workers. We're not psychics. We don't go in and poof, make everything okay. What we try to do is give them something tangible to go along with what they think they're experiencing. And our main, our main thing we try to say is that we help, we try to help and educate anyone in need. Well, it seems like, and so, let me just interrupt you here for a sec, because mm-hmm. I want to get to something, which is, it seems like in that context, what, what's really happening is you are, uh, well, you're either telling them, no, this place isn't haunted and they can breathe a sigh of relief, or maybe they're upset because they really wanted it to be. But for those who aren't that way, if you're like, yeah, this place is haunted, then you're validating them and there's that sense of relief. Um, so when you call them later in life, uh, months down the road, year down the road, has anything changed? Does, is, does the nature of the relationship with whatever is in their property, does that change? Well, we, we've had several different instances that work perfect for this. Uh, one, the family actually moved because even though they were aware of what was going on and they said that it didn't bother them, after a while, it did bother them, and they, they had to leave. We have another family that embraced it and seemed to find a, a happy medium between what was going on now that they understood it and pretty much took over the ownership of their home and never had any more issues. So it's, and then, of course, we've known people that have tried to turn their house into a circus and had about 50 other groups after us in the, in the quest to find more evidence. It, it basically depends on the client themselves and what they want to prove. And if they're trying to actually get answers or if they, they're doing it because they really, really want it. Mm-hmm. And Rachel, in terms of um, who sees what or who records what in your group, um, do you see that that is based on their own personal history like, for instance, maybe Jason sees more because he's got this in his family and you don't because you don't. Does, does something like that hold for the group or, or does it not break down along those lines? I don't, I, I don't feel with our group it breaks down those lines. Um, it, yeah, I've not had the personal experiences. I mean, everyone, like Deb, she's had personal experiences. Uh, Michelle and Wes, um, I, I want to say Michelle has, but she doubts her experience. Wes is... Uh, he's not like me, but kind of like is like me. How that's kind of weird to say it that way. He's not seen anything or experienced anything, but yet I think sometimes he tries to convince himself <laughs> that <laughs> if it's real, it's real, not real. I mean, we've gone to conversations beyond it, but everyone is uh, 
just has their own background story. Like Amber has had personal experiences, and it just so happens to be that Amber and Jason have the same June 4th birthday. I mean, there's a lot of weird in, like, odds, ins, and outs of our whole team members. My dad is a pastor, doesn't believe in this stuff, but yet he believes in God and the paranormal activities that take place in the Bible. My godfather, who's also a pastor in the same church, highly into the paranormal, thinks it's the coolest thing what we do. So, and then I have two siblings that think I'm nuts. <laughs> so, you know, it's, um, I, I believe it's inside the person that kind of brings them to the conclusion of what they're getting into. Um, if they go into a house, like Jason, I think I know what group or the family we were just talking about, but you go into a house, and the other thing is, it's like you go in already expecting to see something, then the, the, the sense is already heightened, and we try to keep our team members from doing that anyways, because then if you're expecting to see something, a couple things can happen. You're certainly disappointed if you don't see anything, or two, you make the haunting yourself. You know, like things become so overdramatic that, oh, did you hear the banging? Oh, I thought it was a voice down the basement. I mean, we, we run into, not with our team members, but, you know, other groups, and they're like, do you, do you hear this? I'm like, no, sir, I don't. I'm sorry. But I kind of jump the gum, guys, too, so if I bounce around, you can always bring me back. Focus, oh, no, that's Rachel. good. That's Focus. good. Um, and <laughs> let, let me ask you uh, on that note, do you all share uh, the same theory about, for instance, what EVPs represent? Does everyone in your group agree. Oh, we, we all have totally different points and viewpoints on a lot of issues. And it, it's beneficial to us because when we do our data review, we don't just have one person go over it. We have two, three, sometimes more, even people outside of our group to go over evidence or potential evidence that we think we have. And we'll actually sit and debate and talk. And we don't stop with a, is it a voice? What is it saying? We, we try to actually discuss it and see what kind of general consensus that we can come up with so that when we do sit down and talk with the client, we can say, you know, we do have different opinions. Some things were thrown out because we can't tell if it was between, you know, Beelzebub coming to say hello or the toilet squeaks. You know, we, we don't even tell them anything like that. So we do our best to rationalize and discuss internally before we even bother bothering anybody externally. Do you guys do experiments like, for instance, go to a place that you maybe have already visited and know that you're going to get EVP from, go to that place and challenge whatever is talking uh, by sort of calling its bluff and saying, look, I don't know what this is. I know you present yourself as a spirit or a ghost or whatever, a voice of a human being, but I don't believe that. What are you? you? Have you ever done anything like that just to challenge the sort of assumption that, that this is happening at all in the way that uh, it presents itself? We we do have manners of questioning. I don't, I don't do any challenging. And actually, in our code of ethics, uh, one thing that I have in there is any kind of antagonization, any kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Aggravation. Yeah. Well, in the, in, <laughs> it's completely provoking. Uh, if if anybody in my group internally tries to do any provoking, that's an immediate dismissal. And the reason why is, even if 
we don't think something might be there. Even if something is there, when anyone does provoking, if there is something there and you antagonize it and you make it angry and you want it to reveal itself in its true nature, when we leave, whoever lives there has to deal with that. And I don't need to slap a lion to know it's going to eat me. And I don't need, I know that if it doesn't eat me, it's going to eat the next person that comes in. So I try to, I try to do a more monotone based type questioning and not use any kind of aggression. If there is something there, which is extraordinarily rare, and even rare if it's something bad or negative, I don't want to risk to our clients or to my people the option of actually pissing something off right. to well, show itself. Just to you, both of you, um, as researchers, just on the level of researchers wanting to sort of move a field forward. I'm just going to steal Jeff's question before I, before I hand this over to him. Great. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, well, it's something that he constantly asks and I think is, is a brilliant question, which is, all right, we get it. There are EVPs, there's light phenomena. Now, what is it? So how do you move the field forward from the awe and the spectacle of look at this evidence we have to figuring out, okay, what is this? Well, we do, well, with the EVPs, we always try to use, we overkill devices so that we can sit there and tell, like one investigation we had last year, we were able to tell what point of the room that the sound was coming from, and it just happened to be the closet that we got the, the location because we grid a lot of our locations out and where we put our equipment. And it let us know that whatever voice and sentence that was said was coming from the vicinity of the closet only to find out that the uh, niece of the deceased said for some reason they like to be in the closet well that was great so we have uh, we try to isolate not only yes we caught something but where when what was going on you know was there anything strange happening that caused something like this Uh, was there a storm outside was there you know, what was there an X class or an M class solar flare? Was the geomagnetic field of the Earth slightly amiss? And the same way with doing, uh, whether it's camera or with its night vision and, and video footage, is the overkill of the camera. We try to find out is there a motion that seems to repeat from one area to the next? Is there some reason why certain types of light penetrate but other types don't? Uh, I see, uh, let me ask you one follow-up to that. Do you do you ask um, the demeanor of the observer? Because I know we've talked with, I don't know if you're familiar with George Hansen or the trickster theory, but that, that paranormal phenomena seems to come up during times of anti-structure. So, you know, if someone is going through a great change in their life, they'll have some sort of paranormal encounter. Um do you do you find that? Do you ask questions of the observer? You know, what? How are you feeling? What's going on with you in your life that this might come up? Well, the great part about Rachel and I being the founder and the case manager is when we get a potential client that we're talking with, we go and we sit down with them way before we even schedule an investigation because we want to get to know them on a personal level, and it's almost like a miniature psych evaluation, which is why I'm actually in school now for psychology. But with her. <laughs> experience in her education dealing with patients in the medical field, we can sit down and see, are there any strange nervous tics that the people have? Is 
do they seem to keep glaring off to one side of the house? Are they antsy? Do they have some kind of nervous, you know, is, is there something in the environment that's causing it or are they causing it to their environment? We've had some people that when they're outside of their home and we get to sit and walk, talk with them, they're perfectly fine. But the moment they walk in their house, they're, they have that anxiety again. And we try to keep track of all of that data as well, because if it is something that they're causing, then we can easily talk them into looking for what's causing them to have difficulty. If it isn't them, then we try to rationalize what possibly could be affecting them from their environment. Mm-hmm. Jeff. Wow, really? Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, guys, I guess it, this would be for both of you, really, but uh, uh, we'll let Rachel go first with this. Um, y- you know, I mean, we can we can talk at length about uh, how you got into this and all that, but I'm I'm after the why. Um, ultimately, I have to ask for both of you: What are you looking for? I mean, what's your end game in this? Because I mean. As Jeremy mentioned, you, know, you can watch ghost hunters. They go in, they collect the data, they present it to the client, end of story. And for me, it's like, okay, we get it. There's clearly something going on here. Um, you know, So not only do I question what they're doing, but I question why are you doing it? Like what is the point here? What is your end game for this? You know, and um, <laughs> how long do we have, guys? Um, okay. <laughs> you got as much uh, as you me, need. <laughs> yeah. Let me start really small because, um, my dad, when he finally got a little bit more comfortable with this, asked me the exact same thing. What is your end game? And he used those exact words. And it was hard for me to explain because if you're in the mind of Rachel Weinrich slash Rachel Baker now, it's very hard because it's not to prove that ghosts exist. It's not to have that that most amazing piece of evidence that everyone's going to think that we're the pros in the field. It's for me, it's not like that for me. It's, it's beyond just finding ghosts or the Loch Ness monster or aliens. It's the fact that there's a lot out there. We know nothing about. There's so many puzzle pieces to the bigger picture that we as people can't even begin to understand and if this is that first little puzzle piece that I can work with, then by golly, I'm going to do it. Because my brain, you can ask Jason at night, I'll be like, what's going to happen after we die? It's not, no, are we going to go to heaven? Are we going to go to hell? I don't believe really in that anymore. It's more of, I'm here for a purpose. What is my purpose? And the closest thing, guys, I've gotten to be able to answer the all-in, you know, the magic number 42 question is, start with the paranormal investigations. And it sounds really scatterbrained when I try putting in words, but in me, I'm trying to solve what is our purpose for being, for living our lives. I don't see being born, you know, growing up, going to work, trying to pay bills, and then dying as a life. To me, that's point, That's pointless. Mm-hmm. So it, it's the <laughs> ever-ending universal question it's, I don't know how else to put in the words, and it sounds really like when I try to tell you guys, you're probably think this girl is blonde. For no, sure. no, 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 um, no. It, like it sounds like what you're saying essentially is you're trying to find out what the hell we are. Yeah, why, why, why are we here? I mean, that, to me, mm-hmm. that, that's really why I'm in it, but 
it's the reason why I was such a, you know, an outcast when I was growing up because I always thought so broadly and so big. My eyes and my heart are for the, the stars and the skies and the planets and everything beyond this planet because we are not the only beings and maybe we're seeing a lot more, you know, maybe the ghosts aren't really ghosts. They're not always just dead people. Maybe <laughs> they're on different planes and they're seeing us the same way. I don't know. Right. But that, to me, is why I do what I do. It's not really for necessarily other people, even though I want to help people understand that it's not everything to be scared of, but it's my own personal quest as well, my own personal gain and insight of what the hell is really going on. Right, right, right. Well, and you can make the point that, uh, I mean, I hear that a lot from people who are really deep in the ghost thing. Uh is that you know we try to tell people it's nothing to be afraid of, but in fact, we don't really know that, do we? No, <laughs> I mean, we, we don't. really don't. Um, so, Jason, for you, what what is your end game for this? I mean, uh, what are you looking for? Oh, of course, it, I I have my own personal experiences that I'd like to have a little bit more information of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my main drive is the conversation that I had with my grandfather many, many, many years back, and that was that there are people that have experiences just like you do. There are people that have questions, and it's wrong of, it's wrong of us to have the answer to questions or be able to attain the answer to questions and not help them. Mm-hmm. So I, I personally feel that my purpose is I, I don't care about... I mean, I don't care about getting any specific evidence. I don't care about any of that. And when we talk to other people or we do presentations and things like that, it's the, I'm not in there to find it being haunted. I'm not in there to debunk things. I'm in there to find the truth. We're being called in, whether it's for UFOs or ghosts or whatever, we're being called in from someone that is concerned and has questions. So we're going to address those questions the best we possibly can. And if we can't address those questions, then we try to steer them in what direction that they might also be able to get answers. Mm-hmm. My purpose is not only for what I'm looking for, but anyone that I can possibly help, anybody that I can shed some light on. I feel it's, it's my responsibility that it was handed down to me as my responsibility to do whatever I can for all of us. And I mean, when we customize equipment and build new equipment, I give out the specs and the diagrams and stuff. I don't sell it to people. I give it out to people. If they want to build one, they can build one. If they want to see if they can improve on it, let them improve on it. We have to we have to work together or we'll never come up with any real information on anything. It it just stays a theory and we never get any tangible facts. Yeah, totally agree with you there. Um well one of the things I mean I've I've done I guess over many years now, I probably have done a handful of, of haunting uh, investigations here and there. And some of them have actually started as ufological things and have suddenly appeared to me as something else um, of which I didn't want any part of. And I, I only, I can only remember one specific case that we had that uh, the family really thought that this was a ufological related issue. And, uh, and it actually turned out after a deep discussion with them that it turned out to be a whole lot more than that. And so I recommended them to somebody else. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed uh, in my own experiences, um, my house has got 
activity in it right right now. Um, some of which Jeremy has seen, I think. Um, and I've noticed over and over and over, UFOs, ghosts, pretty much name it. 3 a.m. seems to be the magical hour. And I'm wondering how often you guys come across that um, that particular aspect of this. I know when we did a uh, uh, an investigation out of Gettysburg uh, at Mark Nesbitt's house, um, it was a fairly quiet night. It's the quietest old house I've ever heard in my life. But come 3 a.m., it was a circus. Uh, so how often do you guys come across that same sort of, you know, maybe a half hour before, a half hour afterwards, somewhere in between there, but right around the 3 a.m.? Well, as far as claims, we hear quite a bit. Uh, but as far as actually capturing any kind of tangible evidence, not very often at all. Really? And one reason is because it happens 24-7. We just might not notice it. Mm-hmm. Now, around 3 o'clock in the morning, you're used pretty much a little bit more relaxed. There's not as much going on outside, not as much background noise. People aren't driving around honking their horns. So your senses are a little heightened because you're out of your normal sleep brain. I think that we tend to notice it more because we're actually sitting down in that time period and we're more observant at that time period. Uh, I had a, a great debate with somebody one time that were trying to talk about it, the, the reverse hour of when Christ died on the cross and all of oh, this. Yeah. And, and I laughed. I said, okay, but ghosts wouldn't understand time zones. <laughs> right now, it, now, right now you say it's, it's 3 a.m., but technically it would be what? Nine ten in the morning over in Jerusalem right now. Right, it's, exactly. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. Right. I think. Well, I don't believe in coincidence, but I think it's just the investigators themselves are. You you've been doing it for the entire evening. Now they ramp up to set everything up and to start the investigation and get everything going and get it in gear and get the rotations. Now it's more in that coasting and relax and being part of the investigation. You're actually listening as opposed to working. And I think that's why most, most of the time people tend to notice more at that time period than they were before, during, or before or after. Mm. Well, I have, and this is for both of you too. Um, how often have you been in an investigation and, and witnessed something and, um, and become, I don't know, disoriented or, um, almost felt like you were in an altered state um, uh, of some sort of alternate consciousness. And the, re- the reason I asked that in tandem with the 3 a.m. thing, um, you know, if you, if you haven't heard about this or you haven't looked into it, the, the notion of uh, certain tryptamines that are released in the brain right around 3 a.m. Uh, is responsible for a lot of the uh, perceptions or altered perceptions that people seem to have at that hour, which I think is why it's become like the paranormal hour. Um, not saying it's strictly psychological, but rather we're able to perceive things that might be around us all the time, just like you're saying. How often have you guys experienced anything that you would, would say was out of the realm of your normal state of mind uh, when you've had activity around that you can actually say, yes, there is something going on here? Other than uh, we have had a few incidents where team members felt nauseous 
uh, I don't really think that we've got anything quantifiable that I could I could add into that. Usually, there's there's something causing it, whether it would be allergies or, or something else going on at the time. But uh, we've not captured anything that would uh, be able to be put on paper as potential for that. Hmm. You know, as far as what Jeremy mentioned earlier about the uh, the anti-structural nature of a lot of this stuff. Rachel, have you, I mean, you've been around this group for a while now. Um, is it hard to keep it together? Hard to keep it together as in? As in the, the group. Clarify. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've spoken to a, a, a number of groups like this over years. And, I mean, even here in Maryland, you know, there seems to be mass exoduses from groups like this a lot. Like, it's a hard thing to keep together. I mean, have you have you had a lot of that going on in your own group, or or is it a pretty cohesive unit for the most part? We the group we have now is a pretty cohesive unit. Um, it's almost like uh, we were brought together for a reason, and again, the reason we have no idea. It just seemed to fall into place really well. Um, when I was letting the dogs out, they were barking. I wanted to say something about that three o'clock hour. Um, yeah, please. I. Nothing that, like Jason was saying, we didn't have anything like that could be tangible or that we put on paper to really um, say that. Um, I kind of always, I don't want to say I play dumb, but what the thing is, is like you said something like you re- no one really knows anything because we have all these theories and these ideas and I'm always respectful. It's the same thing with my patients. Um, you know, like I had a patient come in and this is the things I start, I have started to pay attention to. I've dealt with schizophrenic patients, and a lot of them seem, a lot, not all of them, a lot seem to be just, you know, empty shells. They walk around, they shuffle their feet, they're not very aware, um, and it could be definitely the medication they're on, definitely the chemical imbalance or whatever's going on in the brains. Mm-hmm. I have two patients that this has happened to within the last year. They both have schizophrenia but they are so aware of it. And I'm not talking like, yeah, I've got schizophrenia. No, they're very aware of it, as in the voice that talks to them, the um, the things that this voice used to tell them. They can pinpoint the day that they started hearing the voice tell them to hurt themselves or hurt their family. And there was something so different about them that made me scared. And one day I came home, after the, I think it was the second patient, and Jason can actually vouch for it. I wasn't myself when I got home. It wasn't the three o'clock time frame, but I wasn't myself. I found myself outraged. I found myself angry, and that's not like me at all. And all I can remember are when I looked at this patient, very aware of something. But she's saying, "Well, my doctor's classified as paranoid schizophrenia." Huh. nothing like any other patient I've ever come across that has paranoid schizophrenia. And I found myself crying and screaming and yelling. And guys, if I have a bad day, that's normally not what I do. Normally <laughs> I, I cry or I, you know, I'll lie down or just say, you know, I really wish I could find a new job. But that, this wasn't normal for me. And our friend Amber, who's part of our team too, also told Jason, that's not Rachel. Huh. And it took me days to get over that. So what do you think that's about, Rachel? I mean, what do you you think that's about? I mean, 
I mean, um, I, I mean, on, on one hand, I can tell you that that I've definitely heard of people like like just like you're saying, uh, uh, paranoid schizophrenics who are visited by a friend, and in order for the friend to be able to relate to the paranoid schizophrenic, they actually end up taking on the traits of the paranoid schizophrenic, and yeah. and usually, I mean, this is a fairly common thing, I think that. Um, you know that the guests will be removed from the uh, the visiting room, uh, yeah. but this does tend to happen. Uh, I mean, you you don't relate this type of thing to that. You're saying no. that there's something different that these deal. people are, yeah. are perceiving something different. Yeah, it's the same thing with my mom, guys. Because um, and this goes into a little deeper, but you know, my mom's bipolar and um, severe depression and. Uh, um, and I wish I could say recovering alcoholic, but that's probably not going to happen in her lifetime. And I remember this was back in like the, the end of the 90s when I was in college and not to like time mark myself, but um, I was maybe like 20 years old, maybe even 19 because it started happening the summer after my freshman year. And I, I started noticing because I'm the only person besides my mom who had a health background. So my mom was a nurse, and I remember watching her one night, just walking back and forth, and this is not normal behavior for my mom. We already knew that she started drinking a lot more, but it wasn't normal behavior. Um, it just was, you know, you see those people in those mental institutes, and sometimes you just sit and walk back and forth. That's what that reminded me. And then just over time, it progressively got worse. And I remember the scariest time was when I was a sophomore in college, so about a year past. And she wasn't being seen medically yet. And I remember my sister and my brother and my dad were, you know, like on the back patio um, talking. And all the lights were off except for the living room light, which is where my mom was sitting by herself on the couch. And I remember just being scared because her eyes were rolled back up in her head, but she was talking to somebody that was not there. Hmm. and um, I just remember thinking, okay, that's not normal. I, I, I don't ever remember seeing anybody ever doing that, mental illness or not. So, um, and then her eyes came back down, and she just stood up and walked upstairs, and we saw the light up in my parents' bedroom go off, because you can see it from the back porch. They had a balcony upstairs. And the next thing you hear are these footsteps coming down the stairs. I'm like, oh, crap, Mom's coming back. And she comes out, opens the door, and looks right out into the dark room and says, where is your father? And I'm like, "Um, Mom? And she goes, where is your father? And then my dad's like, Barb, I'm right here. And she's like, I don't see you. And he goes, Barb, I'm right here. She says, who came upstairs and broke the lamp? Hmm. That's what, when we saw the light go off, that was our, the lamp. It was being broken. Now, mind you, very possible that in whatever happened, she knocked the lamp over. Very, very high probability. Mm-hmm. But two, it was the, that wasn't what so much bothered me. It was seeing her eyes float up in the back of her head, so all you saw were the whites. And she was having not a muddled conversation, gentlemen. It was a defined, very clear conversation. Do you remember what it was about? I mean, like anything that she said? Uh, she was saying stuff about, you know, um, they're angry at me. Um, 
they don't understand, uh, I, I'm, I'm good enough, something like that. It, it was a long time, because the guy was like 12 years ago now, but it was something about, you know, how no one respects her, that no one likes her, that she tries to do everything to please people, and rah, 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 and um, it was just bizarre. And then it's kind of like, what made it kind of hard to understand exactly what was being said, too, was she was... It sounded like she was answering to what was being said. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so it's almost like a two-way, yeah. A two-way conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's also now interesting more is that maybe these mental disorders, maybe they're not really mental disorders as we think of it. Maybe they're just on a different plane and there's other forms of communication going on to another level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought that when I saw the little girl in Oprah not not horribly long ago. And yes, that's right. I watch Oprah, listeners. Um, I mean, there you've got a child who every once in a while just slips away to this other place. Uh, and it's very descriptive and it's very detailed. And uh, and clearly it becomes her reality. I mean, I could I could, you know, just from my own point of view, you telling me about your mom and all that. I mean, I could look at that and say. That's a completely anti-structural lifestyle that she has, uh, you know, both with her with both of her illnesses. And so, would I be surprised to hear about paranormal activity happening to her or to you or in the house? Not at all. Yeah. Uh, ever since George Hansen has come on that show and related that to us, that's I've asked everybody now that I meet who's had some kind of experience like that. Like, what has your life been like? What at what what were you doing at that time? And Everything from home improvements to a death in the family. I mean, it's uh, yeah. it's always followed suit. Yeah. Um, now, the 3 o'clock thing, now that's mm-hmm. something I did want to bring up. Um, I And this wasn't too long ago, and it really might not mean anything, but to me it made me um, become a little more aware. I, um, I, I woke up right at 3 o'clock in the morning, and that night, even prior to 3 o'clock, prior to going to bed, I was already on, my senses were heightened at something. And when this happens, it's, it's like a, I have a, a thunderstorm going on in my gut. It's just like I can't seem to settle down for some reason. Um, every sensation is on, like, high alert. I woke up right at 3 o'clock, and it was almost as if, now, I was not dreaming. My eyes were not closed. But... It was almost as if there was a woman standing right next to me, even though I didn't see anything, and the voice was crystal clear. And it it sounds funny when I say it, but as crystal clear as possible, she said June 4th. Now, Hmm. does this have any significance? The only significance I can think of is my husband's birthday, Jason's, on June 4th, and Amber's birthday is on June 4th. But why, why? And I've also been taught um, over the years, you know, even from my 95-year-old grandma, that when things like that happen, you don't overlook them and just play them off as nothing or coincidence. Right. And so that was right at 3 o'clock in the morning. It kind of freaks me out now after seeing, you know, the exorcism of Emily Rose and all that stuff. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. that kind of stuff, um, absolutely. But I will always go back and I will always play the humble person here is that, do we really have the answers? No. Are we ever going to have the answers? Probably not, even though, in a way, I wish I would understand better. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the other thing I wanted to throw out to you guys, not to take over your show, but what do you guys think of those that claim to be demonologists or demon experts? Um. <laughs> Please tell me because I'll tell you how I feel about Well, that you know what? Story. We've 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 kind of uh, thrown the UFO field to the to the ground, so we might all do the same thing here. Um, yeah, I don't buy it, and I only say this, and I. And this is not even a real reason for most people, but I can only speak for myself in this case is that, um, you know, I, I've had pretty calm interactions for the most part with a thing that I think most people would look at and immediately go, that's freaking evil. And, uh, and I'm not buying that, uh, number one. But I think the whole, I, I think the whole historical account of, uh, demons and that. Now, do I think there is negativity? Do I think there is absolute evil? Yes, I do. Um, do I think it can manifest to be something? Yes, I do. Can we call that demonic? Eh, little medieval for me. Yeah, I, I hate to say this, but I don't even buy the idea that a psychic can go into a, a home and um, tell a spirit, to, like, I help the spirit cross over, that sort of thing, or exorcism or something like that. Like, I, I'm just not buying that. Um, that's just my own personal opinion. You know, I mean, my thought is if they're on the other side or they're halfway between and they don't know where to go, what the hell are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they can pray just as easily as you can. So I, I, I just, that never, that never held any water for me. No, that's essential. <laughs> that's essentially it. I mean, I, there's nothing really more to say to that. I mean, and That's I'm still it. thinking about the just, fact that he watches Oprah, so why don't you tell us how you feel? <laughs> I was just curious because um, this is one of the, the biggest pet peeves of mine that I've been running across is like, um, one, um, if any kind of paranormal activity happens, you know, have it be real or not, they automatically run to demons. Um, two, when something, let's say something got slid across the table, you know, never minding, you know, that your cat just jumped off the table and push something across the table with its paw. I don't know. But, you know, let's say something really got pushed across the table and they automatically jump to demon. And sometimes I, I question um, if something, let's say the most evil thing was in your house, I would think it would have, now again, I'll just say think, I would think it would have more things to do than just slide stuff across your table. You know what I'm saying? And then that would be it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's kind of how I think. And then believing in, okay, this is where my dad would probably just roll over in his grave if he ever would pass, if he passed away. But um, I, I, I think what makes me feel a little bit more lost, especially with like the whole demon thing and all that, do I believe in evil? Absolutely. There, you, I don't believe now that there can be good without bad. Um, there's always going to be the yin-yang and the opposite. Um, it, it's the, like some groups today, what, if they start using demon, I'm starting to uh, learn that some are using that because it's worse than ghosts. And so maybe in some cases they feel that, oh, well, you guys dealt with demons, therefore you must really know what you're doing, but yet they don't know crap. And then, two, you go over here, um, people are saying there are these demon experts, a demonologist, and I have to keep saying, okay, you know that when you add the O-L-O-G-I-S-T to the end of the name, it just means the study, study right. of, or right. demonology, O-L-O-G-Y. I said, so if you are to study demons, 
I said, to me, textbook reading does not make you an expert. Okay, for me, for you to be an expert, I would think you would have to socialize with whatever these things are. You would have to be around them 24-7. You would have to somehow know their habits. I mean, to me, when I think of like a zoologist, they're hanging out with animals all the time. That, to me, makes you more of an expert with animals than me. But are you really hanging out and studying these creatures? Right. You know what I'm saying? To me, that would make you an expert, but I don't think, and I could be wrong, but then I would have to question your integrity for hanging out with such epitome of evil to become <laughs> a demonologist. So right. um, these are some of the issues I have, but now because my views growing up as a Christian have changed, I don't read the Bible. I do believe there might be some truth in there, but I think some of the facts how people are reading it today have been altered. Um, and that kind of makes me feel lost at times because we brought up the belief, you know, you're good, you go to heaven, you're bad, you go to hell. And now it's kind of like I'm in this limo phase. It's like, really? Because if I start questioning what I was brought up to believe, am I going to be in trouble? And so I think that's why I, some of these answers are to help me kind of realize that I'm doing what I'm supposed to. Because mm-hmm. my, my purpose is to be as positive and as good as a person in my lifetime to not hurt others or harm others, to help where I can, that's kind of where I'm at now. Because now I'm starting to question what I was brought up to believe. I believe in a creator, absolutely. There's no way all of this, the universe, planets, people, whatever, could exist without something. Mm-hmm. There is always a beginning to everything. Well, let, let me ask you how far the skepticism of certain things runs. I mean, let's just look at... Um, Let's just look at EVPs. Okay. Um, you know, we all hear a lot of things. Uh, I'm sure both of you have heard things uh, on TV, uh, in other media, on the internet that they say is a voice. And clearly, it's a it's a it's a a, a door jam creaking that sounds like such and such, um, or it's just such an overprocessed sound file that you can make. You know, take your. Uh, uh, your Rorschach, uh, you know, and transpose it to audio, and that's what you've got. It, it can sound like anything you want it to sound like. Mm-hmm. But do you rule out the aspect that even when you get a really good EVP of something, do you both always view that as a completely external idea, or do you leave open the aspect that it could be us? Well, we, we beat everything to death. Yeah. And the best part about having multiple people review stuff is the fact one of the three people that reviews it might go, oh, I remember that I was in the hallway looking for the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of times we might start out with 10 or 20 EVPs and cut them down, either cutting them all out or maybe end up with one. Any evidence that we have, we don't do any filtering. Most of the time we don't even amplify it. We just leave it as dead nuts as what it was. Right. Because once you start filtering and doing any gains, you've already contaminated it and ruined any possibility of it being legitimate. Mm-hmm. You, you've messed with it. You've, you've destroyed it. Well, also don't give every little creaky noise to everybody either. And I'm really picky because I look at it as if it was being done for me. I don't want you to bring 45 sound files of a board creak or a door open or clearly wind going through the, the pipe in the fireplace. Mm-hmm. If you think you have an EVP, 
that's a voice phenomenon. That's not a noise. Right. And people have gotten so stuck on everything being an EVP, even if it's not a noise. If you, if you catch the sound of a whistle or a bell or a cannon fire, mm-hmm. that's not an EVP. It's a phantom sound, mm-hmm. but it's not an EVP. And they, they lump it all together in the hopes that it will make it look better. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jeff, I, is that I, what I, you meant by us? No, I mean, do you guys even negate the idea that you, as investigators, say you, let's say you go into, um, well, I'll pick my favorite spot. You you go into a house in Gettysburg that, um, let's say you go to the Jenny Wade house, and you're you're all aware of Jenny Wade's story. You know she's the only civilian killed in the Civil War. You know that she was uh, betrothed and all that sort of thing. So you've already got this narrative um, – which I'm not saying would color whatever investigation you're going to do, but do you think it's out of the realm that maybe an EVP that shows up could have been somehow, because we don't know what we are, remember, projected by the group or someone in the group, as opposed to being an, a, a completely external thing from the group, but rather it's self-generated. I mean, do you, do, you, do, you, you know, do you throw that out as a possibility? I don't think because when you're projecting that kind of information, it can always come back in a different form. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best part, which I and Rachel likes to laugh at this, the majority of our EVPs are picked up by static recorders that aren't even during any EVP sessions. Most of most of our best EVPs that have been captured is when we've actually locked the place down and we're sitting outside eating. Right. And you get something in the back of the room that sounds like a little girl when clearly you have one woman with you who like Rachel and then everybody else's guys. It definitely couldn't have been any of us. Right. But in a situation like the Jenny Wade house, where if you send in as a great control, you send in only male investigators and you get the voice of a female, then that gives you a little bit more to work with. Mm-hmm. But if you have a mixed group in there and you come out with something that could even be remotely possible being contaminated, then all of it has to be thrown out. Right. Well, I mean, I like, I like to throw things away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's, um, you know, there's a school of thought that, um, you know, that I, I had put out a while back when I, and uh, you know, I know a lot of people in the in the ghost realm don't particularly care for ghost hunters or anything like that, but. I remember one in particular thing, and it's been probably the only thing in the show that's really impressed me, um, was when they did, I, I believe it was a, a place in Denver, and it wasn't the Stanley Steamer place. It was some other mountain retreat that a, a European princess used to frequent a lot. She oh. loved the place. She had her bed moved there. I think that was in Connecticut, wasn't it? Am I, is that where it was? Okay. I just remember it was it was definitely in the mountain air type of place. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, they walk in, they say, are you here? And she, and when they play this back, they get a very clear, th- thick European accent of, well, of course I'm here. Where are you? You know, almost as, as if she's standing in the same room. And, and I think, Rachel, like you mentioned in the beginning, like, are we the ghost to them? Uh, you know, if you were back in time at the period she was standing there, did she hear voices? For something like that, I mean... Do you think the possibility exists that we're talking across time just through the sheer power of intent? Or do you think that this stuff is, I mean, there's the old adage, they don't know they're dead, which I I guess if it's sudden enough, maybe you wouldn't know 
or maybe there would be a confusion there. One thing I mean, that I've I, what do you been, say to something like that? One thing that I've always been interested in is the limbo theory, for one. And also, a lot of these places, and, and they go on saying, it's on top of a battery, there's all this quartz, there's all the limestone, there's running water, there's sulfur. There's... Okay, that's great. Now, think about it. If, if it's true that paranormal activity could possibly be more amplified in areas where there's either a thinning of the veil, a intersection of natural ley lines, or some kind of other disturbance that might be a fracture in the space-time continuum. There might be, uh, you know, some kind of split where there's a damage section between multiple realities. It's very possible that any interaction could be, like you said, the people on the other side, regardless of the timeline, regardless of which uh, alter dimension it might be, if it's functioning in real time and they think that something's coming through, a lot of people describe, they walk into a room, they see somebody that looks like it's a ghost, it's in the corner, it's doing something, it turns to them, gets startled, and leaves. Mm-hmm. How do you know that's not their reality and you just scared them because they think you're a ghost? <laughs> exactly, yeah. I yeah. Mean, this, what was the old phrase, that there's one reality more than what we could possibly comprehend. Right. So whatever we, <laughs> we as humans can fathom is a possibility. But do we have anything to support it, like the conversation earlier? Are you writing it down? Are you putting this together? Are you trying to you know, marginalize and get information and data to go along with that theory? It's a very good theory, but I really don't think anybody's pursuing it. Right, right. Well, I mean, there's a hell of a lot of them that, that aren't being pursued. We know that. I mean... Because uh, um, it's not on TV. Well, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's one thing. I mean, I, I mean, for, for you guys, it's... Uh, uh, I mean, I think we've had one or two UFO shows on TV, and but you guys got a hell of a lot of um, probably stereotypical things to break down just dealing with clients because I think they're expecting taps when you walk in the door. Um, so that's a problem. And, and that brings me to another part of this is, is um, how much, uh, I guess, whether it be predominantly in the ghost field, do you, do you run into – uh, the same sort of nonsense and uh, double talk and and frauds and fakes and all of that. I mean, do you do you have exactly that that same kind of scenario as what we have like in the ufological realm? Oh yes, and and that's one one reason why we do our research prior and we go and sit down with the client before scheduling anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it would be madness to to have everyone come in and all the equipment and you've never even talked to the people or sat down with them or even looked at the property. I, I mean, logistically, I don't want to bring my people and all my stuff there until I know that it's a safe environment and that the people aren't crackpots. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I'd say pretty close to half, if not more than half of our, our consultations end right there, and we never even schedule an inv- investigation. Mm-hmm. Either we can identify what's causing their quote-unquote phenomena, or we realize that it's it's a it's a game to them, and they want to, they want to be part of it because they like it being on TV. And I'm really not into humoring people into doing that because it's a waste of my time and it's a perversion of the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Rachel, what has uh, since you've been doing this stuff, um, and since you've been in the group? 
Has anything truly scared the hell out of you? No. 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 I mean, no. besides getting married. What? No. Um, I mean, well, nothing, yeah, nothing is scary, but, you know. No, no, sir. Nothing has, nothing has been scary. I think at first, because it was just like, um, I've never done it before. I, I my, my nerves were, you know, heightened, but no, nothing. Cause I would always walk away saying, Oh, okay. And it's gotten to the point that when we do go into places, um, again, I really try to keep the, my open mind with, you know, anything can happen, you know, um, but every time nothing, nothing's happened, uh, nothing that made me, you know, want to run away screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, no. Jason, what nothing. about you? Uh, I haven't had anything substantial in a long time. Well, that's not true. November, November, I, I did spot something in the sky and have to report it to MUFON. Mm. But there, no, there's, there's been things that have caught my interest. There's been things that have required us to go more in depth investigation, but n- nothing that I would say is disturbed or scared me or anything like that. Does fear even play into it for you? It, it always gets out overbalanced by excitement, you know, mm. like, Oh, something's going on. Let's see what, let's see what it is. Let's go to it. And part of it's because I've been doing it for so long. And the rest is because I know what's out there and I want to learn as much as I possibly can. So the fear, it's kind of like people that bungee cord jump or jump out of airplanes. You know, there's a little bit of fear of what if there, but it's always, it's always completely taken over by the exhilaration of learning more. Right, right. Well, I wonder if you guys would do me a favor because, I, I, and, I, and you may already do this, but um, this is not something I have ever heard on an EVP or anything like that. And nobody's ever asked this question in a session. And, and maybe this might apply a little bit to what Jeremy was talking about earlier. Um, the next time you do an EVP session in a place that you feel confident has activity going on. Will you do me a favor? Just ask them this question. Sure. Where are you? <laughs> because I've tried that over and over and over and over. And uh, I, I had a shop that was on a, an estate of a 1700s hotel. I mean, Washington had stayed there. It was, it was involved in the Civil War, the whole bit. And this place was horrifyingly haunted. And... Uh, I did EVP session after EVP session every day. I mean, every day before I'd leave work. And um, and and rarely, if ever, got anything interesting. Most of it I could dismiss. That was the question I always asked. Like, I thought to myself one night, what would I do if somebody just walked in here? Because that was a report <laughs> by the gentleman who lived there. He literally would walk into a room, sit down, exhausted from a day. He was an architect. And um, he actually had a man and woman bring him coffee. And they weren't there. Um, and, and so I, I asked myself, what would I ask? And that would be the one thing I'd ask. Where are you? And what year is it? Uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know that, any, that that's become a, you know, if that's ever been a staple in EVP questions, but shouldn't it be? <laughs> shouldn't we get an idea of what their perception is? I mean. Actually, it's a really good idea. That's it's actually a, a comment that we've made to some of our, our people in the past. And we're actually re- in the process of retraining everybody with some new ideas and kind of like a refresher for those who are experienced. 
and that's to not use the same canned questions all the time. So, you know, come up with... People have gotten to the trend, the trend of saying, tell me that I want to know this, instead of trying to actually have a conversation as you would a normal person. I mean, right. you don't want to, somebody to come into where you work, pull you to the sign and ask you a million questions and then walk away. I mean, that's kind of rude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why, not, why not sit down and socialize? Maybe talk with someone else and see if anything is said over you. If, if someone interjects, or maybe just say, you know, you know, is there something specific that you know you enjoy doing, or have you ever been to the movies? Just some, something that could help right. you timeline and create a date better, or at least get some kind of idea. You know, narrow it down a little bit. Okay, somebody says, "Yes, I'm here." Great, and then you leave. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's okay, that doesn't that doesn't help anybody. Right. Now they say I'm getting ready for the movies. It's it's 1924. I get to go see a talkie. You know, that would be awesome. I would love I would love to see that. But right. like you said, the people they've got so routine about asking, show me a sign of your presence. Are you here with us? <laughs> Jump through the soup. Can you ring this? I mean, flip my flashlight. Really? Why are but, you, you know, Jason, just <laughs> to make sure, though, but we do sometimes follow those typical questions still. So we're not now avoid of those silly questions. That's why I, I, the last time we had an investigation and people started asking that, I'm like, this is so lame. It's not beyond lame to say, is there anyone here? You know, I mean, right. that's okay. Uh, what is your name? No, that's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with these questions. I'm just thinking to myself, if we're going to learn anything, don't we have to find out what their perception is? If there is actually something there that can interact that we can't see. Isn't well, I think that's where my lame part was coming in because I'm like, you know what? <laughs> what are we going to get from them? What happens if we say, oh, someone here? And we get, yes. Okay, so <laughs> someone's here with us. Why? <laughs> so I don't know. I, 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 yeah, maybe I'm just trying to thank you guys. Or you're making my brain jog some other possibilities of asking questions. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've got a question for an EVP that's on your site, though, which is, um, uh, I, God, I wish I could remember the, I should have written down the file name, but you'll know what I'm talking about. It's a very clear, um, uh, let me go ghost nerd. Um, Is definitely, this a grade, definitely a grade A uh, EVP of an old man that, that it's, it's unintelligible and it's clearly talking over top of you all. Um, yeah. Um, can you tell me what the situation was for that? That was, that was a, uh, a residence that we were called into. It, it just one of those strange things. We had actually stopped and had had lunch somewhere, and there was another lady that recognized Deb and walked outside, saw the truck, and started asking questions. And we ended up doing an investigation to, for one of her family members. And this house was built by the grandmother, grandfather, and aunt. And all three of them passed away in the house. The house had stayed with the family. Of course, it was various 
diseases, old age, and, and so on, heart failure. But they said they would never leave the house. There's a lot of things going on in the house, practical jokes, hearing noises, door slamming. They never felt scared. They just felt like they're being tormented by their family. <laughs> and everybody had that feeling that it was, it's got to be our family because the sense of humor is our uncle. The sense of humor is my grandpa. The sense, you know, that's the kind of stuff that they were saying. Right. So because it was such an in-depth investigation, we asked all of the, the living family members to join into the investigation, and there was five of them. And we let them do most of the questions. Oh. Any question that my team asked did not get a response. Any question asked by a family member got an immediate response. And I think we ended up with over 100 uh, isolated EVPs, but only a section that were uh, understandable. I mean, there were noises and there was clearly somebody mumbling, but you really couldn't hear anything. Like, there's one uh, where you hear what sounds like an old lady say, call Dr. Hubert. Well, when we played all of this back, for the family, our our uh, our sit down with the family to show our results was almost two hours to go through mm-hmm. everything, and mm-hmm. they they remember. We didn't give them just a snippet of the, the uh, EVP. We let them listen to like a minute before, a minute after, and then we taper it down so they could hear it, and they would remember the question that they asked, like "Is is my is Grandma Tippy Toes here?" and they get a response. Or they they ask specific things that only the family would know the answer to, not us. And Hmm. they were getting the exact responses that they were hoping for, but the sister and the daughter were bawling laughing, or bawling laughing and crying because they said not only was the words and the information they got made them believe, but even the aunt and the grandmother sounded just like they were when they were alive. Right, so they ID the voice, yeah. yeah. This is one of the house, too, that it's only happened twice for me, but one was at the Crump Theater in Columbus, Indiana, and the other one was at this house. And what made me feel better was that um, Michelle um, also heard it, but it was... I guess, how do you call it? It was a voice. It wasn't one of our voices, but when I hear something that I think is actually a voice coming through, mm-hmm. um, it reminds me of as if you're hearing an old tinny radio station from, like, the early radios. Mm-hmm. But it's not, like, a full, like, sentence. It's only, like, a word at a time. Like, at the Crumb Theater, um, all of us were on the stage acting goofy, just kind of like, you know, doing what we do sometimes. And all of a sudden, I heard this tinny, tinny voice coming from the, where the audience would be sitting. But no one was out there, just go, wow. And that was it. It was caught on, you know, the, it was caught on all our video equipment. So that was good. But then it was almost like, it wasn't even, it wasn't even a word, but it sounded like an older woman going, Hmm, kind of like, you girls are nuts, or what are you doing here? That's the kind of thing I heard, and then I looked over, and Michelle goes, you heard it too. And I'm like, yes. Mm. <laughs> so it just sounded like a tinny, older woman's voice, like coming through a radio, but there was no radio. It just goes, hmm. And 
it was like, okay, but those are the things. But when it comes to EVP guys, I'll be the first to say I don't listen to the EVPs because you can tell me what you think it is, and I will automatically hear it. So right. that is not my strong point at all. Right. <laughs> it has to be crystal clear for me to be like, oh, that's pretty cool. But you know how some people say um, you'll have a bunch of this white noise, and then let's say uh, something something was actually said. Let's say the actual words were, hey, I'm over here with my stuffed teddy bear. Right. You have someone come in and say, Hmm, like you'll go fate as it's playing and it's like, hey, I'm over here petting my, you know, wiener dog and my muskrat. I mean, right. and then people will automatically hear what the person is saying as it's being played. And yeah, I would be, unfortunately, that person that would fall into that. And then I just have to kind of remove myself because I'm like, you know what? I'm not really hearing anything, but sure, you know, now that you're saying it, I hear it too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I found remarkable about the the old man one was the fact that it was so unintelligible that it didn't even seem to be making syllables. I mean, it was just it was cadence and gruffling. And you know, uh, oddly enough, right on this show, in the course of recording an interview, we got the clearest voice of when we were interviewing Colin Andrews. Um, of no, a, no, uh, we're interviewing the other two crop circle. Oh, 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 oh that's right. That's right. Um, God, no, I'm never going to remember their names. We'll have to edit. We'll have to edit that in. Um, but uh, it was a crop circle guys from over in England, and we got very clearly an, an Englishman's voice, and it sounded pretty much just like the like. <laughs> but there was no, <laughs> you know, there was no assemblance of words there at all. A sudden sort of ripple went across the screen of the crop. So, so am I right in guessing here that that you did capture the footage? It was just that it wouldn't display. Can you and, do that again, please? No, <laughs> oh. no, I will not. <laughs> yeah, it was like it wanted to interject, but it was just harumphing. It was just like, blah, blah, blah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was what? bizarre, and it reminds me so much of that old man EVP that it just I was just like, you know, are they doing this on purpose? Is this like? You know, when we get old and die, if we die in an old age, you know, do we are we going to the spirit world without our teeth or something? Like, what's going on there? Uh, I'll tell you that, it all away. That, that investigation, <laughs> that investigation was one of my favorites because when we first get in, I always try to throw audio recorders everywhere because we've had some really good luck in getting the weirdest things captured while we're setting stuff up, mm -hmm. and that investigation. Uh, I don't know what your sensor level is on your show. What do you mean? Like uh, swearing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have at it, kids. Close your ears. <laughs> uh, but when we're, we were setting up the very first camera, Wes and I, and uh, Rachel and Michelle and Deb were in the living room talking with the family, writing down the stories, getting all the information down. And they were talking about, you know, the nature of metaphysical belief and spirits staying with their family and attachments and stuff like that. And I heard from the back of the house, bullshit. Right. And I stopped and cracked up laughing. And I walked in the living room and I said, did anybody else hear that? <laughs> and they said, you know, no, we didn't hear anything. What? And I, I laughed and I said, you guys were talking about metaphysical blah, 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 blah. I said, and I heard a voice from the back of the house, which just happened to be his bedroom, by the way. 
I said, I heard what sounded like somebody else. Bullshit. <laughs> and his sister who was present busted out laughing. She said that was his favorite thing to say. He would come up to people when they were having a conversation, even though it wasn't about him or concerning him. And he would just interject bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I went back I'm to that. <laughs> me too. That's great. I went through everything until I found that audio clip and we actually had from the recorder in the hallway near where we were, we captured it going, bullshit, down the hallway. (laughs) And everybody was accounted for in the living room, except for Wes and I, who we were putting up the camera. So, I mean, it, it was just... For me, it was hilarious. And when we played it for the family later, uh, the sister just wouldn't quit laughing. She said, that is such a refreshing thing to hear. <laughs> because <laughs> that was exactly. But see, that to me is even um, beneficial sometimes doing the paranormal investigations of spirits and ghosts. Because if that gave the family some comfort, just knowing that, yeah, they're it's, they're really maybe watching over us still, or just you know staying behind for us. I mean, even if they feel that way, it might not be why they're still lingering around, or if they really are lingering around. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's satisfying to know that the family is now okay. And I do remember the the mother that lives there, the younger. Well, you know, I can't remember her name, Jason, but she was a little bit younger than me. And she said, it's not about finding out if there's ghosts or anything here. She goes, I just want to know that I'm not going crazy. Yeah. And that yeah. was her reasoning. So I'm like, fair enough. Hmm. But I do have a tendency to, when we go on what I call my our pre-walkthrough, where it's just Jason and me going to a potential... Um, location, I always have, I started making the habit of asking the person who requested the investigation, if we are to find evidence of something or anything unexplainable, what do you plan on doing with the evidence? What is your plan after we leave? And a lot of times people don't know. And then that's that's when I say, okay, fine. So if we do find something, what are you planning on doing? Some people have said, this is just for me to know that I'm not crazy. Some people say, well, I'm going to go take it to my clergy and have them review it. Some don't have answers. And those are the people that normally scare me, that make me a little uncomfortable and nervous. Right. And the reason being is, one, like Jason was saying, there was a family that called us in. We found out that there was a group that came in right after us. There was a group that was actually there the week before us. And then when I found that out, any kind of correspondence, you know, this is going to probably not be the best on my part. I keep it very brief and short. I don't even talk about the paranormal stuff because now this woman apparently calls whatever's in her house her second daughter. You know, she calls me mommy now. And I'm like, okay, Mm. that's a little odd to me. So... That's why I've always made the habit now of asking people, if we do find anything that we cannot explain, what do you plan on doing with the evidence that we give you? 
Yeah. And I will tell them I would appreciate you guys coming up with, I know this sounds from my work here, but I'm like, come up with some kind of action plan either way. Yeah. Well, guys, we're running out of time. I, I wanted to ask you uh, about your magazine, how people get it, where they get it, how they can find it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what's in it? Okay. The the website is www.thewhitecrow.org. It's all one word, lowercase. Uh, it's a magazine created by everybody for everybody. So uh, people can submit from all over the world as long as it's in paranormal nature, and that can be team spotlights, investigation spotlights, uh, artwork, poetry, short stories, conventions, mm-hmm. you name Media it. Event, fundraisers, uh, especially if, if, if there's a lot of local groups you know, all over the world now that are trying to help save historical landmarks by trying to do fundraisers to raise money to save the, the historical landmarks or to do work on them. So any, any kind of anything that has to do with the community in a positive light or people sharing information and theories, that's what this is for. It's so everyone can have a voice. It's not written by people who get paid to write articles. It's not written by celebrities. It's written by all of us who are actually in the field doing the work every day. Or just have an interest in it. Yeah, yeah. That's a great thing. So what's your website again? Can you give it that one more time? It's www.thewhitecrow.org. And your investigation site is? www.mripa.net. And guys, thank you very much. I'm sure we ran this way over, but it was worth it. It was a a great show. So thanks very much for uh, hanging out with us tonight. Thank you for having us. This is Colin Andrews, and you're listening to Paratopia. So the Jeff. So the Jer. What did you think about my brand new book, Urgency? Wait, what? Jason and Rachel, I meant. What did you think about Jason and Rachel? Jesus Christ. I got to shamelessly self-promote. Do that shit on other shows. Fine. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought it was great. You know, not, nothing against Jason. He's a, he's a great guy. But I found uh, Rachel to be, um, um, I don't know, the more somewhat inquisitive, I guess, or more questioning of the yeah. meaning of things a little bit more. I thought that was interesting because, you know, the whole time she's trying to apologize for being blonde or being dumb or somehow she seems to underestimate herself yeah and yeah. uh and actually um i i think we were pretty much on the same page or could be yeah yeah i think she's a real sharp gal you know what it's a good it's a good kind of uh coupling for them because he is more um uh, seemingly geared towards the mechanics and the uh data collection and all of that whereas she seems uh a lot more analytical and and all that. So yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good match. Uh, you know, happy for them that they uh, that they met each other and got married, and uh, and and wish them much happiness along the way. Well, I'm not sure that you are happy about that. It sounds like there might be some jealousy issues if you'd like to talk about them. <laughs> My wife is very supportive. <laughs> and I love her very much. Um, you know, the thing that I in, like or appreciate, I guess, about what they're doing is, you know, they've got this uh, mripa.net is their website, and it looks like this huge professional 
website geared toward like give us a TV show. I mean, that's just what it screams to me because it's so, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, it's so handsomely done, I guess. Um, and yet they don't charge money for their investigations. They just right. give freely of their time and energy and and all of that. And they seem to be really doing it um, for a good, you know, for for good reason. And of course, you know, I'm friends with Deb, and I know that she wouldn't belong to an organization that she didn't think was doing good work for the sake of doing good work. So it's good to actually see a professional looking outfit like that. That's just doing good work for the sake of doing good work. And, um, and on their website, of course they have, I don't know if they're exposés or tutorials, but basically saying, look, here's a picture of orbs, which are bugs. And this is, you know, camera issues and and lens flares and all that stuff. They don't, uh, they don't try to mislead you with any of their photographic or uh, audio evidence. Um, yeah. And that was clear in just interviewing them, you know, especially Rachel, who's like, look, I've not seen any of this stuff. <laughs> uh, you right. know, I haven't heard any of this stuff and uh, and I'm jealous. You know, I, I kind of wish I had. Um, yeah. I find all of that interesting. I find them refreshingly honest and and open. Yeah. Yeah. And let's just make clear that, I, you know, I, I think, well, if they got a TV gig, you know, more power to them. Oh yeah. Uh, because ultimately, when you're talking about this stuff, this is not a. Uh, it's a. It's it's largely thankless. I mean, uh, except for your own personal uh, triumphs within it or breakthroughs within it on your that you do on your own. And to get a, a gig on TV means more money, which means more equipment, more exposure means more people, and so ultimately, you can turn that into something really great. Uh, provided the network and the producers actually let you do it, <laughs> you know, um, I think if you stick to your guns in that kind of situation, you can make a, a TV program that's both honest and uh, and informative and still be entertaining and exciting. So, um, you know, I just uh, I, I've seen very few shows be able to pull that off. Where know? do we place Giorgio Sukulos's hair in, in that equation? Hmm. <laughs> you know. I just like to say to Giorgio, if he ever wants to get rid of any of that, I could use a little on top. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah, we could all use a little on top. Um, well, this uh, this episode ran over, uh, which is good um, for us, <laughs> but <laughs> but for the listener, it means a little less us, a little less us, a little more guest. Um, so, do we have anything that we want to touch upon before we say goodnight? Not that I can think of. Yeah, I feel like we left it all in the interview, you know? I mean, pretty much, yeah. Um, well, let me ask you, Jeff. You heard their EVPs. What do you think of them? Well, I think the old man one is really good. Um, I mean, we all heard that in the interview. And that is not, like I said, it's totally similar to what we got uh, during the uh, the Crop Circle Researcher uh, Roundtable, only without the British accent. <laughs> yeah. So I find that really interesting and i wonder um i was thinking about this the other day like what is it about that that makes it such a garbled mess and i mean it's clearly a voice it's clearly an old man with ours it's clearly a british accent and the same type of of thing and i got to thinking the other night you know it's like we often hear about from ted phillips in marley woods to terrence mckenna on dmt we hear about this gibberish that is that is spoken uh, by some of these entities and, and that sort of thing. And I, I have to wonder if, you know, 
when we when we shuffle off the mortal coil, do we end up? I mean, is that what we end up talking like? I don't know. Uh, it's just, Why is it that some know, people are like that and some people aren't? I mean, that's the question to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 very strange stuff, and um, uh, I don't know. I just I found that um, I, I found that so similar to our own that um, it makes ours make more sense to me now. Because <laughs> hmm. obviously, we're not the only people catching that kind of weird stuff. But the other ones that I listened to also were pretty good. I don't know about the bullshit one. Um, I've listened to that a lot, and I, I do hear it, but I question whether I would have heard that had I not known what it meant or what, it, what, it, what they interpreted it as saying. Well, do you uh, agree that there is, I mean, something – Well, there's clearly something there. It's not human? I mean, I'll ask the question. You know. Yeah, I mean, there's clearly something there. You know, but one of the things I've noticed just in doing EVPs around here and around in Gettysburg all over the place is that you know, here's something not to forget, especially when you're listening to EVPs that you hear on TV or wherever. Never underestimate what a door creaking can actually sound like or a room settling or a folding chair uh, creaking or coming unhinged a little bit. I mean, there are all sorts of sounds that through that little tiny mic on a handheld tape recorder, it can definitely be misconstrued very quickly. Mm -hmm. And what might be a door creaking from another room, just from the natural settling of a house in a raised volume, accentuated recording from two rooms away could sound like a child screaming. You know, it's, it is something to keep in mind. Um, and, and also, I mean, as far as that, that bullshit, uh, EVP. I, I'm not sure um, what kind of contamination there might have been from outside, either. So that's another thing to keep in mind. But um, I certainly think the old man talking is is really really compelling. Again, who knows what the hell any of this stuff represents? But I, I find it interesting that it that it coincides with ours. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, well, we hope to have them back on or oh, yeah. from their organization. Actually, I think it would be interesting to have Rachel sit in on a show at some point, you know, maybe do like yeah. a third co-host thing. Sure. Um, just, I don't know. I get a feeling she, there's a lot more she uh, wants to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'd like to hear it for one. Well, we, I mean, we've tossed around a uh, female co-host before, you know, but we, uh, we've never, never found anybody that would be, you know, that would be, uh, that would fit well with, with us. Right. Oh, uh, and then here's the other thing. Uh, we may go do some sort of uh, ghost hunty thing together over the yes. summer. That'd be fun. Yes. Yes. We are going to do that. And uh, if I can ever get um, the people who organize this kind of thing to write me back, um, we're going to try and do the trip out to Point Lookout we've been talking about for a goddamn year. <laughs> um you know, the proceeds which benefit uh, the restoration of the Point Lookout Lighthouse. And so, um, it, you know, I'm going to try and reestablish contact with them again and see if we can get a date set of some sort. And um, and then we'll take, I don't know, maybe um, seven, eight listeners with us, whoever can go and make the truck down. It's a nice drive, um, depending on where you're coming from. From L.A., I'd say no. <laughs> but P.A., New York... Um, you know, Delaware, that sort of thing. I think you'd have a fun time. So it it, it will be an overnight stay. 
uh, partially within the lighthouse and then the rest of the night on the haunted campgrounds that used to be the Civil War prison hotel uh, or hospital. I'm sorry. Wow, prison uh, hotel. That'd be awesome. So, yeah, a prison hotel. <laughs> um, so – uh, you, you know, you'll need to bring some kind of camping equipment with you, just a, a sleeping bag if you want, or a tent. Uh, but it should be great. We just have to get established contact with these people and figure out what the story is. So, you know, keep your ears open for that. Very good. All right, the Jeff. Until right. next week. Uh, I love you. I just ate. Good night, Peritopia. Good night. Good night.